I'm Bailey Adkison. I've been attending Mansfield Bible for 16 years. And this morning, I'm going to be reading from Romans 11, verse 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Yeah. What a great worship time, huh? Yeah. Thank you, Bailey. I was going to embarrass you and ask you how old you were, too. But at the same time, I thought I better not do that. I, I like being on your good side, for sure. Uh, ha, man. What a joy it is to be part of the family of God this morning, that we come together and we share, we share together in encouragement, we share together uh, in uh, understanding and learning, we share together as we stir one another up unto love and good works, and uh, man, it's such a joy when we see our, our students involved in the service. I've been really enjoying that, having so many of them read the scriptures and and also, it's just, a, it's just a joy. It's great to be with, be with you all this morning and to be here as we, as we open up God's Word. We're in Romans chapter 11 this morning. Uh, we've been going through the five solas. Um, we've uh, been talking about those aspects. But I want to start with a, a picture that uh, goes all the way back. You know, I tell these stories about backpacking and all. I don't know if you can tell which one I am up there or not. Um, I was uh, 17. If you look second row all the way to the left, that's me because I was watching the guy that's at the beanie about to play, play a prank. We did a lot of pranks on that trip. There's some stories that I've shared that actually was from that trip. Um, that, that was a year, that was about the time um, uh, when I kind of started leaving all my old friends and started trying to find those who were in Christ to encourage me on my spiritual growth. Um, and to learn of him, and to learn of those things. And uh, this crew here, and there's some others that aren't in this picture, were uh, big influences in my life. Uh, they begin to encourage me in my faith, one another. I'm a big believer in family. I'm still connected with several of them. Some of them are pastors and uh, missionaries, and I'm looking through there. They're all faithful and and that I, all the ones that I still know are still faithful serving the Lord. And what an encouragement to, to see that. So I share these stories about backpacking. I've never shown proof that I really did. This was back in, when I was like 17. And one of the things on this trip that really struck me when I looked at this was on this trip, just seeing the glories of God. And if you will, go to the next picture. This is a picture I found on the internet. If you look at it, we're standing pretty close in that same area. And if you go back to the last picture, it was a cloudy day. You really couldn't see everything. It's black and white, but you couldn't see everything. But if you go back to the next, when I look at that, when I look at that range, every time I've been backpacking, when I'm sitting on a high place and I look out over like that, I am just so blown away by the majesty and the glory of God. Some of you sit on a beach and it's the same. You see the ocean and the marvels of an ocean. But for me, this is the one. And I can remember on that trip just realizing how much I needed God in my life. 
and realizing how majestic he is. And as I've grown in faith, I realize looking out over those mountains, as, as beautiful as that is, realizing that, that, that it's, been, it's been cursed by sin. And as beautiful as this is, it's not even, it's not even anything to what we're going to have when we're in heaven. And the beauties and the glory of our God. But I, I look at that and I marvel. We were on James Peak there in Colorado, 13er. I don't remember 13,000 and some odd feet. I've climbed several 14ers there in Colorado during those years and um, was marveled every time when I think about the glory of God. We've been going through a series called the five solos, solo being alone or only. And if you will, we'll go and put that up there for me. As we look at, as we look at these solos, the first one we looked at was the scripture alone. Scripture alone. This is our final and highest authority. If you want to try to get something on me and you're like, Greg, I don't like the way you're doing it, you come, you go, see right here, it's going to challenge me. And we might have some discussions about it, but nevertheless, this is the final authority for us. It's our guide. It's our directive and how we ought to carry out our lives. It tells us about God, and it tells us about redemption. It tells us about Jesus. That's how we know who Jesus is, because of the scriptures. It instructs us in that way. So we have Christ alone. There is no one else under heaven that, that, that can be saved. I remember that, that phrase when that pastor was preaching in that verse in John 14, 6, when he said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one cometh to the Father but by me. And that day, I gave my life to Christ. I'll never forget that. Never forget that. There's no other way by which you can be saved. There's not a bunch of other ways. It's not how you're going to earn it. That's why Jesus brought us grace. He gave us grace because we can never accomplish in the law. We can never make it into the presence of God through our good deeds because we have been so devastated by iniquity and sin. We needed to be delivered. We needed to be ransomed. We needed to be brought to life in Christ. And he's did that through his grace. And how do we receive that into our life? It's faith alone. I don't care how many times you walk through the door, how much money you put in the plate, how many hours you serve. I don't care if you feed all the poor of the world. It's not enough. You receive, you receive the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ, whereby he declares you righteous and he justifies you. You receive that by faith. We looked at that last week. You are saved by faith, through grace, by faith. And thankfully, it's not something of my own doing. God has been at work. And so it's a beautiful thing. So when we look at the last one, to the glory of God alone, if you were to kind of so take these other ones around and you circle them around. Really, when we look at it, it's to God's glory. And this morning, I hope that I challenge you about your attitude towards God. If God isn't, if God isn't sovereign, if God isn't the most high in your life, this morning, I want to challenge you about that. Because of who he is, he deserves and he is honored and he requires our worship. Because of who he is. It's his person. In fact, I got this quote a few years ago. and One of the things I began to realize in my study this week was your view of God has everything to do with your view, with your values and your view of, your, of humanity. And James Boyce, he had this quote. He said, no people ever rise higher than their idea of God. Conversely, a lost sense of God's high and awesome character 
always involves a loss of people's moral values and even what we commonly call humanity. Chew on that for a minute. If you lose sight of God and who he is, then you lose sight of who you are. You know why? Because he's your creator. He knows the purpose and the means and for which he has created you, by which he gave life into you. If you lose sight of the value and the place of God, his omnipresence, his, his uh, omnipotence, his, his glory, his character, if you lose sight of those things, you lose sight of the value and place of humanity. What do I mean by that? All of a sudden, you're not looking at humanity and seeing the great need and the message that you have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're not seeing the need of that. You're simply looking at people to use them for your plans and your purposes or for your means so you can feel better about yourself. You can go on and on. The higher your view of God, the greater your view of humanity. I have found this to be true in my life. If you go back, if you look at that, at that climbing picture, that group that I was in, you look at that young man that was there. That young man did not care about humanity. He did not care about people. The things that I did before those days just blackens my heart. Because I didn't care about people. I would do things. I would take things from you. I would, I would go about my way of my life in such a way that I did not care about humanity. And as I began to understand the gospel and the plans and the purposes of my God, I began to realize humanity, people are important. And the compassion that should be coming out of my heart. And many of you know me. You know that compassion doesn't come naturally. It's a work of God in my life. And as we begin to understand or have a higher view of who God is, then we begin to have a higher view of humanity. And we begin to understand our purposes. How great is our God? Well, in our passage that Bailey read so well this morning, it tells us about our glorious and amazing God. And what do we mean when we talk about glory? When he says, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God. What do we mean by glory? I found this quote, and I don't even know where I found it. It's talking about the glory of God. And I think we have it. Yeah, we, about the glory of God. It's the singular splendor of God. Let me take that for a minute. What do I mean singular Splendor, that it solely belongs to him. There is no one like God. There's no one else God shares his glory with. There is no one else that, that is any way comparable to him. We begin to understand the glory of God when we understand that splendor, that glory, that majesty are his and his alone. Amen? I just see any of y'all are awake. And its consequences for mankind. That the glory of God has consequences for humanity. We know it by a verse that we all know, right? For all have sinned. And what? Of the glory of God. Because his glory, the state of being of his person, of who he is, demands certain things. And if we go our own way as we looked a couple weeks ago and we begin to pursue our own desires of flesh and mind, it puts us in a hostile relationship with our God. 
It has consequences, but it also has the other kind of consequences. When it talks about Jesus and giving up all and taking on the likeness of sinful flesh and being obedient, even the obedience to the cross, that God raises him up and it tells us, and we're going to look at it in a little bit, and it tells us to the glory of God. So the gospel brings about glory to him. So when we looked at these five solas, which we've been looking at the gospel for the last five weeks, when we understand that the gospel, then we begin to understand the glory of our God. Because it reveals his person and who he is. When we think about glory, and, I, and, and some of you are going to, you, you're struggling here. Glory, like, man, God's always pursuing glory. That seems kind of self-centered, doesn't it? Because the way we look at glory is we kind of look at glory like when I was on the football team and I made plays. And, you know, I look over the field and they're clapping, hitting you on the back. Great, 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 great play, great, great play. You know, you start making all city. You start making these rewards and acknowledgments and people start talking about you. And then these guys from college come to talk to you. You start, you start going, wow, you know, who, you know, you puff yourself up. And we think God's like that. We think like, oh, we're giving, all, he's just wanting all this from us. The picture isn't a glory that you attain through the clapping or the accomplishment. The glory that God has is a result of his self-sufficiency and of his person. He is God. And there's no one like him. He, from everlasting to everlasting, I love to say that, by the way, from everlasting to everlasting, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, there is no one else to compare him to. You can't pull out something in a book you read and say, wow, God's like this, because he's incomparable. He's everlasting, his majesty, his glory. In fact, what's what we see in Verse 33, where he says, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge that God's glory is unfathomable. You're not going to comprehend it all. His glory is incapable of fully being explored and fully being understood because of his majesty and who he is. When Paul wrote Romans here, he, he began with chapter one. We've looked at it already a little bit. You know, I'm ready to come preach because it's the power of God unto salvation. We saw all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We therefore conclude no one is justified by the law, but by faith. We looked at Abraham who came before the law and Abraham believed God. It was imputed to him righteousness. Therefore, because we've been declared righteous by faith, therefore we've been justified by faith. We looked at that last week. We have peace with God. It doesn't mean a feeling. It means we're no longer hostile with him. We're at a state of peace. And if the blood of bulls and goats could do so much more, how much more will Christ? That just as right, sin entered into the world through one man, now righteousness has entered into the world through one man, Jesus Christ, that those who are in Christ, there is what? There no longer is condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. Glory to God, hallelujah, because he goes on and he says, and there's nothing that shall separate us Nothing that will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And then he describes Israel in light of the gospel. And he comes to this place and he gets right here and he says, oh, the depths, the riches. We had a small group meeting Friday night I'm around here. But we had a small group Friday night and we were playing games and stuff. And I love my small group. I just, they keep me young because they're all way younger than I am and I love it. <clears throat> but we were having a small group and all of them in the, in the middle of the, 
a game, all of a sudden, Kelsey, and I was looking to see if she was here because I know I'd, if she was, I'd totally embarrass her. All of a sudden, she goes, oh, I got to tell you something. And I was so excited when I heard that. You know why? Because the way she said, oh, you know, like, hey, this is exciting. That's what Paul's doing here. He's like, hey, oh, let me tell you about the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of our God. Glory to be him. Why? Because of who he is in his person. Glory to God. He's incapable of being compared in this argumentation of what Paul goes through when we begin to comprehend the riches of God towards us, when we begin to understand the gospel and how we've been taken from death to life, from the kingdom of bondage to the kingdom of, of life, we begin to realize that it's not about us. Salvation isn't about you. It's about the glory of our God. To God be the glory and to him alone. We, we need to understand that church and Christianity isn't about us. It's about what God does in our lives. This morning we become here and we worship. And we worship him because of his Amazing glory and majesty and is expressed towards us in the gospel. He goes on and he says in that very, right there in verse 33 still, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable is his ways. I looked those, that up and had different definitions. There was like unable to be clearly understood. In fact, one, and I kind of fell on this one, thought it was the best, impossible impossible to understand or interpret. We cannot fully understand and interpret the nature of God and his judgments and his ways. It happens to me all the time. You know, or somebody comes to me and they bring up a theological point or they're asking me questions or they have someone that they're discipling or someone they're meeting with and they're asking questions. And so they come to me and they're wanting to get a little better answer. And I start sharing them what I think. But then there's there's often times where it comes where I'm like, you know, this is what I think, but I don't know. Like I can't explain certain, certain things. Like sometimes when I look at how God brought me to Christ, there's some things I just, it, it, it blows me away. There's some things about God and what he does and how he chooses. I mean, Paul was dealing it right here in this, these chapters, 9, 10, and 11. Everyone always goes, oh, they're so hard. I, I don't know. They're, they're, I don't think they're that difficult. God does as he pleases. And I always tell them, I say, man, I don't, but I don't know. But I'm okay with it. You know why? Because I know the character of my God. And I trust him. I believe in him. And it, and, and it happens more times than not. It seems like, well, someone will say, well, I'm not okay with that. Or they're not going to accept that. And this is what I tell them. you got to let them chew on it. Because until we humble ourselves and bring ourselves under the mighty hand of our God, we're not going to understand the work of God in our lives. I tell them, you know, you can always, you know, chocolate coat the pill and let them, maybe they'll swallow down a little easier. But ultimately, we submit ourselves to God. Because you understand something you can study day after day. In fact, I look forward to eternity, learning more and more about my God. 
But you can study day after day trying to understand wisdom and knowledge in the, of God and his ways, but they're unfathomable. They're just, un, they're just unamazing. Just uh, beyond me. You know why? Because God is greater than myself. God is greater than us in this room. God is greater than humanity. He is everlasting. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. And we can just keep on going. He's holy. He is perfect in every way. And we are limited. I am limited in my understanding and I cannot fully understand the magnitude of God's person. I can't. It begged me to ask this question today. Who did you come to worship today? Who'd you come to worship? A God that acts in predictable ways and patterns according to your thinking and understanding? Did you come to worship a God that is like you, that fits the, in the realm of your comprehension? Are you worshiping a small, containable, easy to understand, kind of put him in a box kind of God? I mean, who did you come to worship today? A God who continues to fit in this frame of understanding and predictability so that when he does something that you don't agree with, you can get mad at him and you're justified? Is that the God you came to worship today? Or did you come to worship an unsearchable, glorious, holy, magnificent, majestic, everlasting God, whose ways and thoughts and purposes are beyond us and our understanding. I don't want a God that's like me. There's too many things I've looked into my life that I don't want a God like me. I don't want a God that's limited. I don't want a God that doesn't know. I want a God that's everlasting. In fact, that's what Paul says, verses 34 and 35. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him to repay? Man, has there ever been anyone that has, has known the mind of God? Has there been anyone that understands his ways? Has there ever been anyone that comes to God and says, you know, God, you're doing a pretty good job, but you know, let me give you this little tip about how you should do it better. Oh, there's lots of us in our arrogance that do that, in our iniquity, in our self-centeredness. And he fortunately is patient towards us and kind towards us, allowing the gospel to be available that we might receive it and grow in him. See, the glory of God is not based on what he has done. It's based on his person and his self-sufficiency. I glory because of what he's done because it reflects who he is. I was thinking about this and um, I shared it in the first service and I was apprehensive because um, uh, a while back we lost a very dear friend of ours in this church. Um, and I remember... Marty, because I loved him so much. But I didn't even realize the full impact of this man in people's lives. I was blown away by the number of people that kept saying, Marty did this or Marty did this. 
And all that happened was I began to elevate my respect and love and appreciation. I would, I would hear things he did and I would just say, God, thank you. Because it was a reflection of who he was as a child of God. So when I see God doing these things whereby he calls us to himself and he, and, he, and he delivers us from iniquity, when I see his magnificent ways, it causes me to glorify him and to lift him up and to speak of his great worth, not because he just did these things, but because they reflect who he is. When he spoke creation into being, it reflected his majesty. It reflected his power. It reflected his grace and his mercy. That's why the creation demonstrates the glory of God. That's why you can look at the stars and they seem beyond what we can ever comprehend. When I was standing there on that mountain and I was looking out across there and I was like, wow, this is so much beyond me because it reflects who he is. From everlasting to everlasting, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, there is no one like him. He goes on, Paul says in verse 36, he says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. That's a good one. The Westminster Shorter Catechism it's a, teaches, is used to teach children. But there's a question that I always loved. And ask this question, what is the chief end of man? Or what is the chief end of humanity? You know what it says? It is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Woo! It is, is it not to glorify him and to enjoy him forever? For in him and from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory Forever, amen, amen. Dear people of God, he deserves our complete response and glory. One of the things that happened to me when I was going through Bible college because in the years that even followed, I, I just kept wanting to make sure that I was you know, honoring God with my life. So I always used to think like, well, it's all these things that I'm doing, right? I mean, like, like, you know, I was pastoring a church. Well, that was pretty good, right? And when I ended up leaving the ministry for a time and managing restaurants, that wasn't so good. And then when, you know, I started thinking about, well, those missionaries that are in Papua New Guinea who are going into these communities and they're translating the word of God into their language, man, that's got to be a lot of glory to God. And that's how a lot of your minds work. It's how many of you think here this morning. And the reality is I began to go, under, wanted to understand, like, how do I glorify God? So there was three propositions. I got them from studies many years ago. I believe uh, Pentecost out of his book, Things to Come. But there's three propositions that I've kind of used to guide my life. The first proposition goes like this. God is sovereign and rules over all. Really simple. I'll tell you what. This one thing right here, the sovereignty of God in your life, understanding it, I know we don't always obey, but understanding that he is sovereign and rules over all, this keeps many believers from really embracing and understanding the joy of God in their life. Because if he isn't sovereign, you're constantly battling about who's in charge in your life. 
It's just a fact. In First Chronicles 29, verses 11 and 12, it says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, and this is King David praying, if I remember right. O Lord, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the, king, and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Psalm 103 verse 19 says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. God is sovereign and rules over all. It's one of the first things you have to understand when you come to Christ. It's a yielding. Why do you think God says he, he, uh, it's a humble heart, a contrite heart that he desires, but a heart of pride, a heart that, that stands up and is haughty, he despises because he doesn't recognize who they are. In proposition, proposition number two goes like this. Satan has rebelled against God's right to rule. Satan has rebelled. And you know what? We have too, by the way. It's interesting in Isaiah 14, verses 13 through 14, Satan or Lucifer, who was the reflection of the glory of God, and then we find in him iniquity, but it tells us in Isaiah 14, what's the heart of that? It says, you, Lucifer, said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will set on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. We call it the five I wills. Lucifer said, these five things I'm gonna do. Look at what they are. Ascend to the heavens. He literally means that Satan wanted God's position. He says, above the stars of God, stars referring to angels often in the, in the Old Testament and the scriptures. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. He wanted the authority to rule the angels, not to just be a channel anymore. Not to be a channel of God's glory, but actually to rule. On the amount of the assembly, often mount refers to governance or governing. He wanted to govern the universe. The next one he says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Clouds is often referring to glory. In other words, he didn't want to be a reflection of God anymore. He wanted greater glory. The last one make myself like the most high. He wanted to be like God, independent, self-sufficient. You know what was interesting as I was putting these together this week and I've looked at these many times over the years. When I got through, I was like, man, it sounds like I just went through a kind of a leadership class or a self-improvement class, you know, where we define, I'm gonna do this. There's nothing wrong with setting goals. That isn't the point. But when our goals circumvent the one who is sovereign and rules over all, it becomes iniquity. But the rebellion and our rebellion included asks this question, it raises this question, does God rule? And so the third proposition, and I've, over the years have changed it up a little bit from, to help my understanding, but it goes like this. God is demonstrating in time because we're in time. God's outside of time. God isn't limited by time. But God is demonstrating in time on earth, because that's where we are. 
through us, and I believe there he's talking about believers, his right to rule. And I thought about this a lot over the years, and it's really impacted the way I live my Christian life. And I have lots of verses, but I'm only going to look at a couple here. First one is in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. In the context of chapter 2, Jesus has just kind of set aside. And he's taken on the, his, his divinity in a sense, or his glories. And, he, and uh, he's taken on the likeness of sinful flesh. He's become obedient to the cross. And then God says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him, talking about Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee sh- shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now listen to the last part of that. What does it say? To the glory of God the Father. To his glory, a reflection of who he is. And the reality is that when we understand who God is and his glory and his majesty, the very next verse starts in chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Therefore, in light of this truth, the gospel, what Christ has done, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my, as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now remember, when we talk about work out salvation, we're not talking about attaining, gaining our salvation through works. Last week we looked at it. We are justified by faith. God declares us righteous. Now that we are this new creation in Christ Jesus, we are to be living out who we are in Christ. We call that sanctification. It's part of that what God is doing as he saves us and delivers us. So when I look at these three propositions, And I realized that Christ, that God rules over all and rebellion has happened and I was part of the rebellion. What I began to realize is that God is demonstrating himself, his right to rule, even through my life. As I yield myself to him, I'm recognizing his glory, his majesty, who he is. And this was what was remarkable for me. Is that all of a sudden I realized, well, that person who is, you know, in Papua New Guinea, translating the scriptures into their language, doing this great work, this mighty, glorious deed, or it's a mom on Tuesday changing the diaper of a child because they are exactly where God has put them. Both of them bring the same glory because both of them are submitting themselves to the will of God in their life, to the majesty of God in their life, and they're bringing them glory. You ever see that before? It changes everything. It's why I tell people when they visit, I, I've even said it a couple times this morning, when people visit, I say, hey, look, we're gonna pray for you, by the way. And here's how we're praying. We're praying God leads you to the place that you need to be. See, if, if I had the choice, I'd bring everybody in, right? If God made me God, I'd just like, oh, well, everybody here because I love this place. But I don't know the plans and the purposes of my God because he is so glorious and majestic and majesty. And he has a plan and a purpose for Mansfield that I don't understand completely. So I say, hey, look, I'm gonna pray that God leads you. Why? Because it's more important to be in the place where God wants you than it is to be carrying out your own I wills in your life. So many times we miss out on the power of God in our life because we say, I won't. So many times we miss out on the power of our God because we go, oh, it's not really that bad of a sin. 
So many times we miss out on the power of God because we redefine what God has already defined clearly in his scripture. So many times we miss out on what God can and could do through us because we don't submit and recognize he is sovereign and rules over all. There's so many times like Tiny who was in Maine. <laughs> Tiny, she was, we, I'm, I'm sorry, she, everybody called her Tiny. I'm not being disrespectful. She was only about that tall. And she was the neatest little lady. She was so neat. She loved God, but she struggled. Her husband passed away. And she hated being alone. She hated it. And she would find some guy and run off for three months, come back, being convicted. She kept doing this. And I'll never forget, she was sitting at the table in my kitchen one night, and she was saying, well, you know, pastor said this, and pastor said this, and this pastor, and this person. I said, whoa, whoa, stop that. And I remember turning my Bible. I said, what does God say? What does God say about what, what's going on in your life right now? It was so clear. I'm not lying to you. You could hear her teeth grind as she was clenching them. And then she goes, no, you're right. This is what God wants. Change her life. She married Fred. Her and Fred were together till they went off. Last I heard, they were off. Well, they passed away, but they were in a, a nursing home together. God gave her the desire of her heart. But it isn't until we recognize him, and even though sometimes the ways of the world seem like this is the way I should go, where this seems the right way, where everybody's saying this is the right way to go, listen, students, listen. And this is the right way to go. But we remember that God is sovereign. And when we bring ourselves under his sovereignty, his glory, his majesty, and we humble ourselves, and we yield ourselves, we open ourselves up for the blessings of God and the work of God. It's not always easy. I'm not talking about a rosy path, but I am talking about a blessed path. A path where I've experienced peace at times, even in the midst of the most chaos. Times where I've seen God change me in ways I never thought he would. Times where I've seen God do things that can only be lifted up to him. And to him be the glory. Amen forever and ever. Father, we just, uh, we just ask, Father, you just speak to us, your people. Maybe some of us, Father, we've kind of developed within our own lives, our own hearts, um, an arrogance, Father, a hardness. Uh, we want to be in control of things. We don't want to trust you, Father. We don't want to take steps that are necessary. And so, Father, as a result, we keep going in our own way after the desires of our own mind and our, our own flesh. And yet, Father, I pray your spirit moves among us right now and that your spirit would speak to our hearts, your spirit would touch those areas that need to be touched, Father, that we would recognize iniquity, where we would recognize uh, hardness of heart, where we recognize a disobedience in our life. And Father, we just bring it under to you. It's not condemnation, Father, it's restoration. It's not ostracizing, but it's bringing us in so we understand the full blessings of being a part of the family of God. It's when we understand these things that, Father, we begin to understand your work and your purposes and your intent in a, in a world of chaos, in a world of darkness, in a world of uncertainty.
Speak to us, God. May your spirit have his way for your glory and your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.